Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Konnichiwa, Jane. Well, it is not a very spring-like day here today, but spring is coming. Yes, and Japan is experiencing some crazy weather at the moment it because is. it's been super, super warm. Even in the early 20s in Tokyo mm. in winter, that's crazy. And then crashing again uh, today. So I think even Japanese people are talking about the weather like English people talk about the weather <laughs> because it's so unbelievably changeable. Changeable. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. In Japan, you kind of expect it to be cold and then slowly get warm and then it gets hot and then it gets hotter and then it gets cooler again, right? But not like in New Zealand where it's, it is four seasons in one day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Down in Gore, it has been like five degrees in the morning there and it's summer. This is what I heard the other day from my family. Amazing. Um, and how is that even possible? But that is the weather these days. And be- the reason we're talking about spring and all of that is Hanami is coming and cherry blossom viewing is coming. Mm. People are coming to Japan. Trying to get a flight to Japan at this time of the year is it's tricky. Very expensive. Spency, anyone- as someone <laughs> said to me the other day, very spency. Yes. Okay. Mm. If someone was watching and looking at my LinkedIn um, posts a little while ago, I'm, I said it was going to be the 23rd of March when it blossoms in Japan and Tokyo Mm -hmm. but it's been brought back a week I was watching the TV Mm -hmm. and they said 17th uh, or 16th is when it's going to actually blossom in Tokyo so that is crazy early so if you've been booking a flight or whatever you may miss or you might time it and you might have to go out of Tokyo to find them but it's a little bit difficult to predict Mm -hmm. and another person was saying as well that uh Last year was kind of a, a little practice run because it was still just post-COVID for Japan 2023, but 2024, it's going to be rip-roaring and there's going to be so many people out there doing Hanami this year. So mm. just be super careful um, and know that it's going to be busy. So that's what I heard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe don't go to the Instagram places that you found on Instagram because you would just not really have a very good experience. Just go to a neighborhood park. You will find cherry blossom trees there and you will find the locals enjoying the cherry blossoms without all the tourists. So pretty much every neighborhood park where you find kids playing will have a couple of cherry blossom trees there where you can enjoy them. Exactly. And you could even take on the tip that we get from our guest today who had another way of enjoying Yes, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So this episode is from Kerry Alice. I know him very well from way back, a few years back. Uh, and he's from Christchurch originally. We met in Japan when we both did a training course here together. Uh, he's a recruiter. He works with Decipher Group. He's an excellent person. He's an excellent player. He's an excellent recruiter. And I think he's going to be able to give you some really good insights about hiring staff about what you need to do and have to have in your tool belt to be a really great operator in Japan as an employee for companies here and be successful. He's just a great gem and I'm so glad that we can bring him to you today. Yeah, and I know that a lot of our listeners are actually in Japan. And so if you're wanting to make a change, perhaps this is the episode for you to maybe just open your eyes to the possibilities and the opportunities that do exist in this country that you might not have thought about. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Kia ora, Kerry. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Kia ora, Jane. Nice to see you too. Kia ora, Catherine. 
All right, warm up question time. Do you have a Hanami story for us? Hanami story. It's something really simple and basic to share because it's such a beautiful time in Japan and and what a lot of Kiwis wouldn't have may not have witnessed is, you know, some areas in Japan are just there's sakura, the Japanese cherry blossom everywhere. I would often um, just put one of the kids on the back of a um, bike and just ride around the neighbourhood and just absorb and enjoy all of the petals falling and, and it's just so beautiful. Um, for me, that's the essence of, of what Hanami should really be, just enjoying all of that beautiful nature. Love it. I can see I can see an image of you riding around and yeah. hope you didn't have any accidents crashing to anyone oh, while you were looking at all the beautiful cherry blossoms. How about you, Catherine? Do you have a Hanami story for us? Oh, so many of them. But I'm just remembering my very first one in Japan when I went out with the staff, met them from the, the company at Ueno Park in Tokyo. And it's massive. So we had to meet at the statue. So I met at the statue and sitting there waiting, and a man came up to me with a trench coat. <laughs> and oh, my God, I, where's the story going? Yeah. <laughs> I can see yes, it already. Yes, it was opened and unveiled, and I remember being quite bold in my Japanese at the time saying, that's pretty sad, uh, how dismal, and then he just ran away, and it was very bizarre. Oh, yeah. my God. Welcome to your first Hanami. You got flashed. <laughs> So literally, that was four or five months after I'd arrived in Japan. I just thought Japan is, I thought Japan was a polite place. I didn't realize yeah. that happened, and it did. So it's always been a very lasting memory of my first hanami in Japan. Obviously, you, after that, sitting yeah. on blue sheets, having <laughs> hanami yeah. with the staff yeah. at the office was great, but that yeah. I've never forgotten. Oh, my God. What a great story. Um, I'm sorry that you were got flashed, but um, and must have made a great story to start the party off with. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, when yeah. everyone arrived, I'd sort of my my cheeks, you know, the colour of my cheeks yeah. decreased and yeah. I was ready to go and have a drink. Yeah, how about you, Jane? Have you got anything slightly less embarrassing? Um, or I have exciting? never experienced anything like that ever in Japan, thankfully. Um, but the blue sheet, you mentioned the blue sheet. Yes. And the ubiquitous blue sheet or tarpaulin that is used on the ground for these hanami parties that happen in the park, I didn't realise that they're inside. So you've got to take your shoes off when you sit yes. there, right? Right. So yes. They're considered to be inside, even though we're outside. <laughs> and so that was a bit of a uh, something my brain couldn't quite get my head around. 20 years later, of course, it's inside and of course you take your shoes off. But for that first first year, it was like, what? We're outside. Yeah. I'm expected to take my shoes off here. And um, so, yeah, that's a that's like a rookie mistake, right? To just sort of walk onto the blue tarpaul and with your shoes yes. off. Yeah, it's right. certainly a protocol that you don't want to break. Right. So, uh, yeah, if it's your that's first time out. point. I know when yeah. I'm back now in New Zealand and we have picnics, Yes. I do take my shoes off before going on the on the picnic blanket, right? So yeah. it's sort of now ingrained that that is now don't wear your shoes on this blanket. Yeah. Thankfully, yeah. Uh, Gaijin Senpai explained to me that blue sheet equals inside, take shoes off. Mm. And yes. I'm like, oh, okay. 
the the trauma of trying to lock in your um, space for your tarpaulin is coming back to me. <laughs> oh, the you know, coming. You, you know, you know, some people do that at you know four o'clock in the morning. They say I can send Granddad off because he because he can't sleep, and so he's off. Yeah, All right, four granddad's always morning, awake. <laughs> Go and lock in your space for Hanami in the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, you know, you need to, right? You have to lock in the space, grab your zone yeah. so that others yeah. don't take it and you've got it claimed. Yeah. Because yeah, it's very special. Well, Kerry, Alice, thank you so much. That was really so fun to talk about. You're a senior business partner at Decipher in yes. Christchurch, hometown for both of us, I believe. Yes. Right? Correct. Um, you, you help lots of people get the staff they need into their business to make sure that everything goes well with, you know, we need people in business, right? Yes. And you've been really, really um, amazing at doing this. I've seen you in operation in Japan and now you're back in Christchurch doing the same. You're helping businesses across Japan and New Zealand from time to time. And it was really great to catch up with you in Christchurch recently to talk yes. about corporate governance in Japan to your Christchurch crowd. So we wanted to bring you on the show because we know you're going to have some great insights for people here because we get asked all the time about how to get a great country manager or how to deal with board members where there's a mix of Kiwis and, and Japanese there. And so we thought you are the guy to ask on this. So welcome again to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. Tell me about a bit first there of your growing up, I think, in Christchurch. What yes. happened there? What got you interested in Japan? So uh, I, I was very fortunate um, growing up, and a lot of families do this with their young children, where they get sent off to another country and they do a homestay in another country to learn another language. It's not uncommon for Japanese families to do this. Uh, I had the very unique uh, experience where I had a homestay student live with my family for five years, which is a long homestay, a young fellow from Nara and he was a couple of years older than me and naturally he became a brother brother you know in the backyard playing backyard cricket um going to this local school playing basketball he was very very close and so i built a very close connection with him and an interest in japan and a curiosity about japan and i think that's where everything really stemmed for me that generated my interest in japan Wow, five years is a long time. Normally it's a few weeks or yeah. maybe a year, but five years is a long time. Yeah. So what happened next then after that? You you know, you were in Japan for a long time. Tell us a bit more about that part that right. brought you through to Japan. As a student, I wanted to take that step and, and experience something that was different. I, I'm someone that always likes to change things up, try something that's going to challenge myself and that's different. And as a young man, I made that decision to take a working holiday in Japan. Um, I interestingly worked in my working holiday for the Suzuki Motor Company in the largest factory in Japan um, on the line helping to make cars. And, and I fell in love with Japan. I, I loved it there. Um, the, the job was obviously a, a means to support my time there, but it was so interesting learning so much and it was different. I, I was engaged. It was, it, it kept me uh, continuously learning and, and that was what I needed at that time. 
um, as a young guy. I returned back to New Zealand and got a qualification so that I could go back to Japan and then started uh, in education and teaching back in Japan, uh, not so dissimilar to what the JET program is. And I think that had me in Japan for the next eight, nine years. Wow. So tell us how you came to be in recruitment. So recruitment is an interesting one. Um, I returned back to New Zealand about 2009, 2010, and I had retrained to get a uh, qualification for teaching in New Zealand as a primary school teacher. And then at that stage of uh, of qualification, unfortunately, we did have that earthquake in Christchurch. Uh, and when an earthquake of that size happens, um, schools don't open and don't open for quite a long time. And being a qualified teacher doesn't really help you find a job if there's no opportunity in the market. Uh, and at that time, both my wife and I weighed up the opportunity to to go back to Japan. Uh, it was good timing for us, terrible timing for my lovely wife who uh, travelled back to Japan to experience another earthquake for, yeah. for the tall uh, earthquake 10 days later. But uh, at that stage, we, uh, we made a commitment to move back to Tokyo and I had looked at opportunities working with international schools and somebody approached me for rec- recruitment. And I'm the sort of person that will always look at something at face value and say, why not? Um, I'll be honest, I hate it every day. But... Uh, I will say that the the company that took me on board gave me the opportunity to learn so much uh, and it really broadened my horizons and my thoughts around what career looked like. And I I think that if I had not had that opportunity, I wouldn't have become more career conscious and career minded. And that really opened the door for me and probably started my wheels spinning in terms of this is better suited to who I am for um, where I can add value. And I think that became much more natural as I got through that, what can be quite tough when you're starting off in recruitment, which is Absolutely. at that stage, there was a lot of well, a lot of cold calling and, and that sort of thing is not necessarily the most enjoyable part of a, a recruitment consultant's job, especially at the start of their career. No, but mm. such good grounding having been on the line at Suzuki, right? Making cars yes. and then you know, going into this where you're making cold calls, I think it's just such great grounding for being in Japan. It may not be ultimately where you want to be, but right. all of these experiences, and I think you're saying this, it really builds your strength for being a great person operating in Japan. That bit immersion in culture is really important at the beginning. Uh, and you can get that in a number of ways. And I think that that was really good for me to to get my feet cemented into Japan. Wow, that's really good insights. And so tell us a bit more about those sort of unique challenges or qualities or experiences that people need to go into to be a really good candidate for a role in Japan. Well, I think as a foreigner, I think that there's a real need to understand the difference between East east and West. And and just to put a a simple spectrum on it from East to West, where you have much more traditional cultural um, values to a much more progressive uh, Western mindset, which is just a spectrum to work on. I I think as a candidate, you have to be very good to understand where you sit on the spectrum. Because in Japan, you have the ultra conservative and traditional, and and that's that's still a minority. But you also need to understand that where your 
spaces to play. In some people's base is a lot wider um, than other people. Some people are much more comfortable in their very traditional space than other people. Some people can operate up and down that spectrum as well. So I think it's good to understand where you sit in that space, to understand where you can go in terms of what type of company is going to be a good fit for you. And that can be as narrow as a division within a larger company as well, as you know, sometimes a line manager or a line may be much more innovative or much more ambitious than another part of the organization as well. So there's real people elements there as well. Mm, That's an awesome insight. Thank you for that. What sort of pitfalls and characteristics hinder someone's success in Japan? I I hate to put pitfall onto an answer because I think that Everybody has a place in a country like Japan because the spectrum is so wide. And I think that there's an opportunity for everybody, no matter where they are on that spectrum. When you are looking at a country like Japan, you have to be very mindful as a non-Japanese person. And this will be different from where you come from. And to give you some perspective, you look at somewhere like Japan where 97% of the population is Japanese. They are accustomed to tradition. They are not accustomed to diversity, and that's diversity of culture, diversity of thought. And so when you don't have that diversity, but you expect diversity, you're setting yourself up for failure. But you may not be aware of that coming from a culture where you might have, a, like New Zealand, where you have that day-to-day interaction with so many different people from so many different cultures that you take it for granted that people are understanding around culture. My advice there probably is that you should never expect somebody to understand that you've come from a multicultural background. You actually have to understand that they've come not come from a multicultural background and having to navigate that. They might not know how to deal with you. So you've got to put things on the plate that are nice and easy to scoop up and, and understand. Mm. Also, I think for us, we can't actually see their diversity we yes yeah and until we've been here about 10 15 years and then you're yes. like wow there's so much diversity in yes. this country but we just couldn't even see it right so yes yes mm. and, and diversity looks different as well um in a lot of different ways and it's probably something that i would say is really developing around that diversity of thought being very, very important and, and a really highly sought after uh, skill set and, and uh, something that's very, very important in today's high performing teams and high functioning businesses. Yeah, I wonder if you've got a story though of somebody who you placed in Japan who was really successful in managing the things that you're talking about. Maybe they really did adapt very well over the cultural diversity. Yes. Oh, well, I have a really great, great example of that, Catherine, and I'm mindful to not share names and and businesses, but I did work with a Japanese logistics company, which was very, very well known to be incredibly traditional and very, very strict in in protocol and process and procedure. Uh, And I, by happenstance, met with the director for global business and he had talked to me and engaged with me and said that their team had no diversity and that he wanted to hire somebody that didn't speak Japanese, um, didn't understand Japanese business and basically was going to come in and add a uh, thought diversity. (laughs) 
And oh, oh my god! I, I, I didn't realise at the time, um, and I look back at that and go, how incredibly insightful that person was. Um, that they had identified that real lack of diversity for thought, and that they needed that to help their global business um, division. And I remember discussing this with the, the candidate at the time, who was on a short-term visa. Um, was struggling to get any opportunity in the market because, you know, not being able to speak Japanese or not being able to understand the culture is a real barrier in the Japanese market. And we talked through the scenario as to what the opportunity provided, short-term, long-term, and we almost joked that at the worst case, it was a paid opportunity to learn Japanese um, and get an opportunity to get that immersion. And and it was a step on the ladder. Uh, It was an opportunity. And... You know, we, we often had regular catch-ups to make sure that that wasn't an uncomfortable space, that the client was incredibly supportive for that person to continue to grow within the business, get new opportunity. Obviously, they, they became integrated into the organization um, more and more as they learned Japanese and they, they became an integral part of the team. And now that person leads their global business out of Chicago. And like, what a great story. It brings a real smile to my face that oh my that had started God. off as a, an opportunity for somebody to bring some diversity and now they, they're leading that global part of the business. That's such an excellent story, right? It just shows you that you can really be quite narrow-minded and think, oh, I can't do well in Japan. I don't have Japanese. And look at that. There's a really great example. That's just one. There's probably some others, but that's a really true story. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, it brings a smile to my face because not only is it life-changing for somebody, but it's so um, impactful for the client. And that ability to make impact is from a, from a recruitment perspective, is so important because when you get to make those cha- uh, those introductions to the right person and you get it right and it has that profound effect for that division, um, you feel like you've made a, ch- a real real change and a, uh, a that- real impact. Yes. You, you talked oh about God. the happenstance yeah. there of meeting the person who wanted you to introduce. And yes. happenstance is one thing, but then the other thing is leveraging networks. Yes. And I know yes. you've got a little bit of a perspective on this, right? The difference probably between New Zealand and Japan on networks. Yes. So tell us a yes. bit more about that. I'll be the first to say that in Japan, not the particularly strongest network. I did enjoy going to events that were related to uh, business opportunity in, in Japan. And uh, the classic examples in, in a place like Tokyo are, are a lot of the consular events, the business offices. And I know that the New Zealand Australia Chamber of Commerce and Catherine, you'll know very well, has a lot of opportunity there to meet with and make new connections within the business. New Zealand has NZTE that often will bring people through and create opportunity for for connections there. And and I think that's a fantastic place to start. There's other opportunities there, and probably one that I'll have a cheeky smile about uh, with you there, Catherine, is courses like Dale Carnegie, um, the opportunity to meet with like-minded, forward-thinking people that are looking to get better at something um, and the opportunity for people in those kind of scenarios are so amazing. There's a real opportunity there and it's such a diverse network as well. People coming from every walk of life and in every corner of the business community, I think those are very you know, fantastic yeah. opportunities All as well. Right. I think Japan and New Zealand, one of the major differences, though, is the access 
to executive and governance level executives. In New Zealand, we're clearly a much smaller economy and access to people is incredible. I've really enjoyed that being back in New Zealand, that um, nobody is inaccessible from a CEO to the chair of the board. Um, Whereas in Japan, I felt that that was a real stretch from the seat I was in to be able to get access to that level. And I think that that's probably a reflection of where I was in my career journey in recruitment in Japan, but also um, probably part of the business community that is a little, uh, well, it is just a lot more inaccessible in the volume of which it is in such a small country like New Zealand in a smaller economy. So talk us through someone who is in New Zealand thinking they're wanting to start in Japan working. What do you think they should be preparing how they getting themselves ready to make a transition to Japan? I think that if you're going to try and uh, develop new business in the Japanese market, and we see it quite a lot uh, for our clients that are going through NZTE for the right kind of introductions into the Japanese market to have the right connections. But from a long-term perspective, there needs to be a real patience, especially when working not just with Japan, but with Asia. Um, the the speed at which transactions happen um, in a bigger economy and larger companies looking to invest or build out joint ventures into the Japanese market take a long time to foster. Um, and coming from a country like New Zealand where we like our agility and our speed, I think how you deliver that is really, really important. And Japan needs a lot of, in my experience, this is not a blanket case for all cases, but what we find is that you need to have a lot of due diligence and you need to make sure that everything is very clear and upfront and uh, easy to access to understand exactly what you're trying to achieve in the Japanese market. There there needs to be a real plan and and it needs to be very robust. And I think that... Um, sometimes companies here get shocked at how much detail is needed to access the Asian market. Um, there's a lot of compliance. There's a lot more hurdles to be able to approach business uh, in Asia. Uh, but on the backside of that, the, there's also fantastic opportunity. And, you know, those that are ambitious and those that really um, do good due diligence and work towards a goal of what they're trying to achieve can really achieve fantastic opportunity uh, in a market like Japan. Right. What about then too, the people who are, we talked at the beginning about boards and governance and things like that, people who are dealing with Japanese investors or trying to negotiate business deals with Japanese. Have you got some hints there? Again, just, I think you've got something there you can probably tell us. From my perspective, it's easy to overcomplicate it. It's quite easy to go and Google and learn about Japanese culture and learn about business protocol and all of those things. But it's, I think it's easy to also overcomplicate that. You've got to be really good at simplifying things when you're working cross-border. Um, make it simple, start from a really common base ground, um, make sure that everything makes sense and, and not get too complicated. I think the complexity around the things like culture and understanding how to operate within that framework come next. I often see, and I'll, I'll often get asked questions, you know, what's protocol, what's best? And, and my baseline is always to say, look, 
in all business, if you're trying to keep things simple to start it off with, it's going to go a long way. Um, and I think that the other side of it is to have that understanding, and I talked a little bit about that before, is understanding that if you're working with um, Asian business owners or investors, understand where they're coming from, from their culture, um, what they're what they're familiar with. It's good to test that first um, because you don't want to be in a relationship with a, an investor or a partner that doesn't understand your culture as well. So you've got to be able to test that in a way that makes sure that that can be a long-term robust relationship. I think we're very lucky in New Zealand that we we tend to be the Switzerland of the South Pacific and, and we don't tend to be too politically charged and I think that we're pretty good connectors and, and pretty sticky in terms of business. Um, we're pretty good at navigating that pretty well because we're agile. But I know that different regions can look at that and go, they need to be probably much more sensitive about how they make those approaches. Mm. Yeah, you definitely have to get in the pool and have a go at swimming to be able to yes. actually swim, right? You can't yes. just read a book about it. So yes. Yes, that also goes for cultural understanding. Yes. Got some effective strategies you can share with us about cross-cultural understanding? Well, like my grandfather would always say is, if you can slow down and speak clearly, um, that goes a long way towards communication. I've lived and worked in Japan for about 20 years, and, and I've known people that have lived in Japan for more than 10 years and not spoken any Japanese. There's a strategy to that. Um, if you're a very good communicator, whether that's um, verbally or through gestures or whatever that is, you can still communicate. Uh, and a really simple baseline is just slow down. And at the end of the day, communication is king. And if you can slow it down and use smart language uh, and not get too complex in what vocabulary that you're using, then you can actually go a long way to communicate with anybody. That's yes. advice, right? Oh, yeah. Totally excellent. Well, how about then we ask you a kind of key questions we always ask our guests on the podcast, like your one gem. We love My, to find out what you consider to be the probably the most valuable advice that you would ever give somebody between Japan and New Zealand to thrive. The one thing I'd say that's important not to forget if you're a foreigner in Japan is that your diversity is so important. And I think that you can leverage that in so many different ways, um, whether it is in sport, whether that is in business, whether that is in personal. As a global citizen now having lived in a, a foreign country and, and living in a different uh, environment, that's such a critical thing that we're quick to forget as a gem if you're a job seeker or, or if you're an aspiring young person, getting that overseas experience. And, and I'm not looking at the typical traditional markets that uh, somewhere like New Zealand look at with the, where a lot of people go to the UK or, or Australia. Really look at that diversity and go, how do I add something that's unique and interesting? And, and I always challenge my own sons and ask them, are you going to go and study engineering in Argentina next year or Spain or are you going to go to Japan or are you going to do something different? Because I think that that global citizen piece is such a, 
important we gem to have to carry around with you. And it's that diversity that you had, the thought diversity, the culture diversity that's so important and so valued and so easy to overlook. Nice one. I love that. I actually had a conversation with a fellow baseball mum last weekend. We were, Three or four of us were talking and I was just saying a few things and they were like, I love hearing your stories. Yes. And I was like, what? And they're like, you always have such interesting stories about stuff. What else? Tell us something else. And they, we were just talking about the times that children go home from school. And I said that I happen to know that in various countries that it's always the same, whereas in Japan it changes. And they were just, their minds were blown. They were like, yes. Yeah. So it was just a very simple conversation, but yeah, yes. we have that superpower and we forget it all the time. So yeah, it can be as simple as something as talking to people at the baseball on the weekend yes. or in your company, like, you know, yes. giving an, an original thought or idea that the people already in the company would never have had without you. Amazing. Yeah. I, I find, I found it fascinating. Um, and, and I was involved a little with the field hockey community, just the different perspectives of how to go about, you know, setting up, setting that up and setting it up for success and new ideas around how to engage the community and, and how we would do it in, a, in, a, in New Zealand. And um, any suggestions was really, really valuable for them because it's a different perspective. It was something new for them. And, and we're very lucky in New Zealand. We have, uh, you know, unparalleled access to sport, um, whether that be rugby, basketball, whatever it is, um, it's on our doorstep at all times. And so, you know, being able to add some ideas around what that looks like for coaching and support and things like that, um, you know, that diversity is something that they could really leverage off. And, and it was it was fascinating for me. Yeah, you're so right. I think we don't even appreciate it within ourselves. But it yes. is. Everything that we contain within ourselves is actually very important to other people. And it can yes. just be just a little opening that we tell. And as Jane just mentioned too, and you, it just opens up other people's eyes to what actually is possible. It's, it's amazing what can happen. Well, what about your crystal ball moment, as we like to call it? You're holding a crystal ball. What are you seeing in your insights to the future between Japan and New Zealand? Anything you'd like to add to that? New Zealand has always had connections with Japan. I think that if I was looking at the crystal ball and saying what's going to happen uh, as opportunity or uh, chances in the future for businesses in New Zealand, I, I look at Japan, it's one of the largest economies in the world. Uh, I think that they're hungry to look at ambition, innovation. And I think that that's really ingrained into the number eight wire mentality of New Zealanders. Um, that ability to fix things from, uh, you know, scrap metal, um, do whatever they need to do to to, to make something new or, or create something new. And we're very lucky that we have a, a really uh, nurturing environment for that. Um, but something that's happening in the Canterbury business space at the moment, in and around aerospace, is fascinating. You know, New Zealand has some really uh, huge advantages when it comes to things like aerospace. Uh, we have clear skies. Um, we don't have direct routes over our country from other from other countries. And I think that New Zealand has a real opportunity uh, in that aerospace market. And we're seeing that investment and we're seeing that opportunity there. And I know that Japan is a country with fantastic technology and 
businesses interested in this space and around fuel and around uh, the development of autonomous vehicles and such like. And I think that if I was going to say in my crystal ball where opportunity lies, that's something that I'm very excited about. Awesome. That was great. Yeah. Well, we really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much, Kerry, for being a fantastic jandal in Japan. I must confess, I got some new um, jandals this year as I, as, I have, <laughs> as I have blown a plug recently. And uh, they're well labeled. One says chur and the other one says bro. So, oh, uh, nice. There you go. Uh, awesome. Very Thanks cheery. so much. See you again soon. Bye. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. Wow, I really enjoyed hearing from Kerry and his unique perspective on recruitment. Oh, indeed. I think, you know, he just shows the whole wealth of experience that he's got and he gave away some real gems there. I think that first one he was talking about was the spectrum of being able to work in Japan Mm. and not having a sort of fixed mindset of, oh, I can only do this. Oh, I don't have Japanese. Oh, actually, you can do many things across a wide spectrum. I thought that was mind-blowing because, absolutely, you don't Mm -hmm. always need language. He gave that really great example of the person who didn't have any Japanese (laughs) yeah, and is now a master of the company in another country. Amazing. Amazing. Just And just, yeah, I'm getting tingles when you said that. Like, that story is so shows you the potential, right, this potential that exists in this country that we just cannot even fathom right? as New Zealanders. And sometimes we show up with our little New Zealand mindset. And I think it was my mum the other day who said, remember we went to watch that rugby game? Yeah. And then I sent her a picture of the stadium and the people in the stadium, just, you know, this is where I was. And she was like, oh, it's big. And I'm like, "Um, yeah, what were you thinking? And she was like, oh, I just had my little New Zealand mindset on and I thought it would be just, you know, like a few hundred people. I was like, yeah, there was 20,000 people there. Right. Yeah. It could not fathom, right? We really Mm. cannot fathom the potential that is here in Japan. Exactly. And I think his example of the language is really, really key. And I want to just labor Mm -hmm. on that for a bit because you can think, oh, I better not go to Japan. I don't have Japanese oh, I'm not going to be successful. I don't have that language. And Japan as a possibility can be shut down just from the get-go because of that attitude. Mm -hmm. So I really want people who are listening to think, yes, having Japanese and having it in a a really good way, being able to speak it very well is a massive way to get great success in Japan. But it's not always the case that you have to have it. So just be wider open to those sorts of possibilities was Mm. the first thing I thought was really awesome. Um, the second thing was, oh, his grandfather's advice. I mean, Ace, slow down and speak clearly. Mm-hmm. Slow Hello. down yeah. and mm-hmm. speak clearly. It's it's absolutely the truth. Uh, my nephew's been here recently, and uh, I said to him when we went to a certain place for a, a factory tour, slow down and don't use your Kiwiisms take breaths and pause and speak clearly. And so he was doing that at the beginning and then it sped up a little bit. And I said, what was the key? Slow down. And when he slowed down again, they caught what he said and it was really useful for him to gather his thoughts as well. It was magic, Mm, right? So it's key advice. Also just not underestimating what you have inside of you that can be really valuable um, in terms of diversity. And we don't always know what it is until we hear it from somebody else tell us 
oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, that's mm. another way of thinking of it. And you gave a great example. Mm. Yeah, original just... ideas are not always original to others. And mm. Mm, it's really great that we do express our diversity in our thought. And obviously it depends the way we do it, not telling someone what to do, but just sharing a, a story as you did. And it can change people's way of thinking. Mm. And I just like to say, which because it's just come to me right now as we're thinking, like, our concept of diversity is very obvious, isn't it? It's like, you look different, you, for example, right? So it's diverse. Right. But in Japan, diversity can be not so obvious, right? So mm. we as foreigners don't even see it. But the Japanese people all see it. So it might look like, you know, you come from a different part of Japan and you grew up in a rural area and now you're in mm. Tokyo and you have a different mm. way of thinking about things. To, compared to all the people who grew up in Tokyo, you speak differently, you do things differently, your miso soup tastes different. That's a big thing in Japan, right? Whereas our concept of diversity is very obvious, right? You can see it, right? That To right. us, that's diversity. And to me, it was almost a bit like, wow, which diversity is better? Um, you know, like... Neither, right? Just right. different. But it's just we go. Westerners don't see it. So hmm, there's been and a bit more time also, seeing that, right? Harry did say diversity has different diverse ways of thinking about it, right? There's not one mm. definition of diversity. So, mm. wow, I just want to say thanks so much, Kerry. Mm. We got to know each other, if you didn't already pick it up during the conversation at the Dale Carnegie course that he talked about. We mm. met there and we clicked and we've kept in touch since. So as he said, don't underestimate again, those different kinds of places where you could connect with people who can be your lifelong friends and change your life. And you can connect across Japan and New Zealand for many, many years after. It's now been seven or eight years since we mm. met. So there you go. Mm. Yep. Your kid's baseball team, your Dale Carnegie course, who knows who you'll meet, right? Yeah. I also learned really good things on the course as well. Anyway, oh, <laughs> that's it for today. Wasn't that great? What it have we got great. next, Jane? Anything else coming up? Oh, I'm really looking forward to our next one as well. Forestry, mm -hmm. is it? Yes. Uh -huh. Let's not yes. give all the juice no, away, but yes. No, Join yes. us again for another great Jandals in Japan podcast episode with our next Jandal. See you then. Bye. listening make sure you check out our guests links in the show notes this podcast is brought to you today by Catherine o'connell law and pod launch with jane if you have a great story you think should be on the show come and find us on linkedin or instagram we'd love to hear from you see you next time mata ne.